0: Hey, everybody. We wanted to talk to you about a really fun event coming up that is going to be here in Atlanta, hosted by Plywood. And it is going to be a date night.
1: Yeah, date night, October 2nd at 7 o'clock for you and your special someone to join us for a conversation on sometimes an awkward topic, right?
0: Yeah. So we have our dear friend, Lori Watson coming and she has been on our podcast before. So you have probably heard her and she is a sex therapist. She is wonderful and amazing. And every conversation I have with her, I learn something new. And so we hope that you'll come to this date night. You'll learn something new with your partner and you'll enjoy it with us.
1: Obviously, this topic is... Complicated and weird, weird, and you might feel awkward even signing up for something like this. It's not going to be that way. You're going to sit at a table with just you and your partner. It's a date night. We want the two of you to get closer in this time. You're going to have space between you and the other couples so that, you know, with COVID and all that stuff, you feel comfortable. And we're going to have wine tasting, and there's going to be charcuterie boards, and you're not going to be singled out on the topic. You can text in questions anonymously. anonymously. Yes. Um, and we're just going to dig into an uncomfortable conversation with the hope that it becomes more comfortable in your relationship.
0: Yeah. And I promise you, you will walk away with something new and something to talk about with your Ooh, partner.
1: Something spicy. I see new. Hopefully it brings you closer together. So, okay. Join us. Go to loverwork.com forward slash date night. You can use the discount code love, L-O-V-E, all caps. And that'll give you 20% off for the night. We just want you there. If the price is a problem, reach out to us. We want couples to be there and to learn. And this is really on mission for us. All right. We love you guys. And we hope we see you there. Right here. Yeah, I'm looking to make it a little lighter.
0: <laughs> Are we mutually aligned oh, right now? Oh my
1: goodness. Uh, there's there's always, always two versions. <laughs> I mean, you're moving a little slow, but I'm working I, I, really
0: hard. <laughs> we will definitely talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Love, work
1: work, work, work. Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we're continuing this series on. Wellness and mental health. Mm Self-care. Self-care. All the things. Can I be honest? The word wellness is kind of a vague word. And overused. Well. What is well?
2: (laughs) I don't even know. know. Here's what I will say.
1: Today, though, we're going to learn a little bit. We have an incredible uh, guest. She's going to talk a little bit about anxiety, a bunch of other things we'll get into. And this is personal to me, obviously. Mm -hmm. If you've listened to the podcast in the past, I've shared extensively about my anxiety. And I do want to say for Father's Day, Andre got me a gift which was an Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. You're like, "Where are you going with this?" Seriously. Job? And I'm trying to figure out if it's helping or hindering my anxiety right now. <laughs> I was in the middle of this interview, it kind of like zapped my wrist and it said stand up. Like <laughs> right and I'm like, "Wait, I I'm getting mixed messages right here. I'm trying to talk about anxiety. Meanwhile, the watch it just got me is making me stand up. But then there's other times where it tells you to breathe. Yeah. so It's a very confusing.
0: I mean, do you remember the breathing for one
1: minute? This little thing is really confusing on my (laughs) mental health status. What do you think? Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. It has to be dependent on you, honey.
0: Uh, You didn't know that I was going to bring this up. I did. I had no idea you were going to talk about it. (laughs) you also typical jeff he gets something and he's like tells all the things he wants to change about it so he's like i want my rings to be specific to what i want like so i don't want it to be a ring of movement i want it to be a ring of breathing well exercise if i were to create and i want my ring my second ring to be this (laughs) Like, as I feel soon like as the three rings,
1: if you don't have an Apple Watch, you don't know that there's these three rings you're trying to complete every day on your wrist, which is a little which crazy. Which promotes wellness. Anyway, <laughs> and it, that's why it's directly related to this topic. Well, one of the rings, you have to stand up every hour. Which you were very upset about that during your interview today. Right. And I'm like, this is actually not what I need to work on. <laughs> like, so why? Why can't we customize what the three rings are? Like this is a very easy function. I hope Apple. you're listening,
0: Apple. Mm-mm. Standing, you need to do better. Standing
1: once an hour is not my problem. <laughs> I'll be honest. There's a lot of problems I have. Of all the three top things I need to work on, standing once an hour for me. Now, for some people, with the, I was if,
0: trying to say, like, if you have a desk job yeah, and all that, it's I important. That. Yeah. I get that,
1: I, and I think it's probably helping some people. For me, I think that the three rings, you should be able to customize. That's just my, I'm like, how difficult is it to customize three rings? <laughs> you this know? is
0: so typically him. I mean, it's bringing me so much anxiety
1: right now. <laughs> I can't even operate, can't do a podcast. You are stressing out about this. (laughs) Anyway, thank you. I was hoping that it would
0: help you. Thanks.
1: I'm really, it's really helping me a lot. I can
0: tell your um, blood pressure and your face are like red right now.
1: It's it's fun. It's fun talking about these things. I mean, the truth is, in this conversation, we're going to go deep into some really good conversations, specifically around this topic of like having some anxiety. If one of you has, the mental health issues, how do you engage that as a couple? Mm-hmm. I mean, how does your partner engage you in a healthy way? How do they be a safe person for you? We're going to attack some of that today. It's going to be great. Rule number one, don't buy them an Apple Watch. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I actually like the <laughs> oh present. Oh my god! I like the present. You're but ridiculous. I am ridiculous and it is funny and all that stuff, but yeah. Okay.
0: Well, let's first share who is on our show today. Yeah, let's do it. This is Monica D. Christina, and she's actually from Atlanta, which is exciting. And she has her own podcast called Still Becoming with Monica G. Christina. And she also has one that's called Still Becoming Kids. And one of the great things I love about her podcast, first of all, is that there's a lot of interviews with therapists and other people. So you feel like you're kind of having counseling sessions, which is great. But then every now and then she does these check-ins where she gives like a quick 10 minute kind of like, how are you feeling? Check in with you and a little teaching. And then also she does these meditations and Mm. she'll do guided meditations. I mean, it is so beautiful and so relaxing and wonderful. If you need a little bit of therapy and peace, listen to her podcast. Yeah.
1: I mean, it would be great if that could be my third ring is listening meditation. to that. Yeah, the meditation. Uh, but we're we're done with that. Yes, we're done with three that. Three things to listen to. Number one, I, we've already said it, anxiety. <laughs> Number two, rituals. Oh, yeah. Rituals. That was... I think that actually is kind of cool. Number three, being married to an anxious partner.
0: Okay. Yes. We talk a lot about all this. So here we go. Monica D. Christina.
1: I'd love to start by hearing a little bit of your story. Tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to this work that you're doing today.
2: Well, I would say that the place that really impacts what I do today started when I was probably about 12 or 13, and I found myself struggling with an anxiety disorder. And even with parents who had means to help me, it just wasn't even necessarily something that they knew to do or I knew to do to get help. and so. I struggled with that for about 10 years and without really any help. And in the absence of the right name for what I was dealing with, you know, like an anxiety disorder, struggling with anxiety and anxious thoughts, I made up other names, right? Like I'm losing it. Something's wrong with me. If only if people knew, I felt so much shame about it. I felt so different. And so Years later, you know, 10 years later, I finally saw a therapist and it really wasn't much of a mystery to him. It wasn't much of a surprise. He named it pretty easily in a few sessions. I told him my whole story leading up to that. And, you know, it wasn't like a one and done thing because that's not how therapy works, but that started my own journey of healing. And it was so transformative that I thought if there's one thing I can do in my life it would be to help other people find the right name for their pain. Because without the right name, you just get really stuck. And so that's why I became a therapist. Literally, it's because one changed my life. Wow. I have a private practice in Atlanta and I see adult individuals and I see couples my practice is probably about 50, 50 couples and adults.
0: Wow.
1: Dealing with couples, is that double the, ch- the challenge? Yeah. <laughs> is it exponentially harder?
2: Like the real, real honest answer is yes.
1: Hmm.
2: For I'll say for myself as a couples therapist, it's some of the most beautiful work and some of the most brutal work, hmm. you know, because you really, you go in there and you're a team of three working through things and. It is, in my opinion, harder work than individual therapy because I think when couples therapy is done really well, it's kind of like two individual therapies because that's really what's happening in a relationship is we're clashing against each other with our own issues, our own family of origin, things, our own unresolved pain stories. Right. Well, you
0: have a podcast that you talk a lot about this word becoming I would love to hear like what that word means to you. I think a lot of people have different definitions of that, but what would you say for you?
2: For me, that word symbolizes hope and opportunity. I think why I find myself so attracted to that word is because I think in order to become more ourselves or or really return to who we've always been, we have to undo a lot of things that maybe have been keeping us from that expression of our most authentic self. And so becoming, I feel like, is for me like a freedom journey. Like sometimes people don't like the word becoming because they think you have to kind of make yourself into something. And that's why I really like to pair it with unbecoming. You know, you're kind of leaving behind false narratives that maybe were never yours to carry. Maybe someone assigned them to you. And that really helps open you up to become more yourself.
0: I think I've heard a lot in that same realm, like. When you're saying a false narrative, I've heard these things called like a true self and a false self that we all carry or portray in some way. So it seems like you're kind of urging into that true, authentic self.
2: I think that, yeah, that is something that I find myself really wanting to help people get more freedom in. And so less than like, you know, trying to make sure you're the most authentic you and the truest you, it's more like getting more free to walk as that person, whatever that is, you know, maybe it's that you have always wanted to do this certain thing in life, but you were always told that you weren't good enough to be able to do that. You know, it's more of that kind of journey of undoing what keeps you from living out at your true self.
0: So how do you know if you're not like living authentically? How would you know that if you are or you're not?
2: Yeah. I think that's a great question. And I think that's a question that could probably create some anxiety for people, right? Like, am I being authentic? Am I living as my authentic self? Yeah. And so that's not at all the spirit that I like am working in just to be clear. It's just, I think that, you know, how do you know if you're being your authentic self? I think that I'd want to start the question with, you know, when do you feel most congruent with yourself? You know, what does it feel like if you really gave yourself permission to not have to be anything for anybody else? What are you like? When do you laugh the most easily or feel the most comfortable in your own skin? Who are the people that you feel that way with? You know, those are all kind of data points that help us know what feels good and feels right for who we are.
0: As a mom and as a working mom and as the all, you know, 100 other things that I am in my day to day. That seems lovely. Like I'm like, when you're talking (laughs) about it, I'm like getting all like cozy and Uh feel good. And then I'm like, I got a lot of stuff. I got to get done and responsibilities and adulting really,
2: right? There's so much adulting. I feel like that's like all (laughs) high school and college should have been. It's like classes on how to adult. I know, I know. So how do you balance that part of it? I would say that any sort of becoming work that's going to make you feel guilty or bad about the way that you're having to operate and lead your life to take care of your responsibilities and your kids might be one that I would want to question, right? I mean, I I think I would start, I know it's kind of high level, but I would start from there that, you know, living as your true authentic self or whatever we want to call it shouldn't feel like a burden. It should feel like an exhale. Hmm. You know, so maybe it's like less expectations on yourself. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's less expectations of having everything done or keeping up with whatever expectations it feels like you should have to do in addition to everything you're carrying throughout the day. Hmm.
1: In your experience, as you've kind of talked with other couples on this Mm -hmm. journey, let's say one of those people has had this like freedom moment or becoming experience that you're kind of referring to and that changes who they are to that other person right yeah there's a friend of mine that he was in a scenario like that he became more true to who he actually was which Mm -hmm. actually led to the end of their relationship this person's partner was like i I don't want to be with that new person i wanted to be with that old person like If you were counseling a couple in the midst of that situation, like it would be very rare, almost never happen where both people are in that journey at the same moment, right?
2: Yeah, I I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would first start with a hell of a lot of validation about how hard it is for both parties, right? Hmm. I mean, you think you're signing on for one thing and then someone takes a really sharp right turn. And no matter how much you love them, you may not be ready to go on that right turn with them, right? Or there may be reasons why you can't continue the relationship. So I would start with mercy and validation because that's really hard. It's hard for both of you. And then I would kind of maybe, you know, depending on how much conflict there is, right? I mean, that's what we would first try to Mm deescalate the conflict and try to understand what's happening underneath the conflict and then trying to see if this new version of yourself, if you guys can find your way back to each other or not, you know, and, and I think that kind of being open-handed, which is really easy to say as a therapist, right? Not because you're not the one losing the relationship, but being open-handed about where this next step might go. I think that you're naming, right? That question you just asked is probably one of the most difficult things that can happen with couples. I would think Right. Is when they find themselves really out of step with each other in a dramatic way.
1: Those are hard seasons. Andre and I talked about, and we've in interviewing so many people that we've always said, like, and other people have said, Hey, you're gonna marry six different versions of your partner. You know, mm-hmm. over that if, if you stay with this person for the long haul, there's gonna be so many different versions of them. But I think as you're watching this person become someone new, it's yeah. that process of falling in love with. now. The flip side of it is like sometimes you see this person becoming more who they truly are. And you're like, wow, mm-hmm. this is yeah. amazing transformation. So those are just hard seasons to fully understand who you're with again.
2: Yeah, I think that's a, it's a really beautiful and perfect way to put it. And I think that I was kind of assuming too, coming from a like, it might be the end of the relationship, but it really could be a whole new chapter for both of you. Hmm. Speaking personally for me and my relationship with my husband, that's one of the things I think attracted us to each other was wanting to grow and change. And so that's kind of part of the deal. You know, it's kind of part of what we hope to happen so far, so good, you know, but that's kind of what we're, you know, one of the things that we really share in common is, is trying to grow and change in whatever way that looks like, which sometimes there's not a lot of that because you're just changing diapers and trying to get through the day.
0: Yeah. But it's definitely a wild card, right? Because like how you said the open handedness of it. Even if, you know, obviously I have a way that I would want Jeff to change. <laughs> <Sure>. yeah, <laughs> and I we have, have it me. in my yeah. mind of how uh-huh. he will best change. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with how he's changing, right? Like usually right. there's that is incongruent. Yes. You know. Yes. But so true. In my mind, this
2: would uh-huh. be
1: the ideal yeah. way
0: and, yeah. and he Got should know list. it and yeah he should right. he should do it <laughs> he should know it because it's gonna be
1: uh, hang on i promise you did this just turn into a therapy we're not paying her right now she's a guest on her i mean <laughs> but wait. but i
0: promise you you'll become
2: your better self oh my lord <laughs> here we go oh i think we all have a list for our partners you know if these are the, these are the areas if i had my way i might suggest a little bit of
1: yeah. Right. But it, internally, though, I mean, it's easy to point out how she should change, right? Totally. Like, Or yeah. vice versa. Yeah. It's hard to kind of go, okay, I know deep down there's something in me yes. that needs to change. Kind of more recently, in the last couple of years, become aware of my anxiety. What you said was so right. Not having a name for it, knowing something didn't feel right internally, wondering how I should change. How do I talk about this? How do I deal with this? All, you know, so all those things you said are consistent with feelings I've had. So it's scary to kind of engage that next phase of life. If mm-hmm. someone's in the middle of that right now, they're feeling some of those thoughts that you said earlier, not having names for it. What advice would you give? Like, Where's a starting place for those people or for all of us people, maybe I should say. Yeah, all of <laughs> yeah. us, Right.
2: Because there probably will be places that we all hit that at, you know again or in some different way. I think that I would start, you know, with your word scary. I mean, I think that it's really scary. It's really scary and it's really vulnerable to be struggling with anything. And I think in general, American society really just promotes the hero, right? And not the person who is perhaps engaging in some kind of struggle. So if someone listening is feeling like, what do I do? Where do I start? The first thing I would say, and I don't mean this in any cheesy way at all, Is that you're not alone. This is one of my favorite parts of being a therapist is that there's nothing that you're facing that someone hasn't faced before. And so that means that you can't be the exception and you can't be, you know, all the terrible things you worry about yourself. You know, the struggle really is real, but you're not the only one that's ever faced it. And there's something about that common humanity that I think can really settle our systems and help us feel less alone. And then I would say the next thing is, find one emotionally safe person. You may not have a relationship with someone that's emotionally safe. That's really realistic because a lot of people don't. But you might be able to find a therapist or an online therapist or some way to find one safe person to start telling your story. Because that's one of the ways that we are wired as humans is to connect with one another. And in that connection, the shame dissipates we feel seen, we feel less alone. It may not fix your struggle, but it would be the first step that I would say, try to take.
0: Hmm. So in your story, and as you you know, process through anxiety, how does that or did that affect your relationship? And how did your, I mean, I don't know, you said it started way young, but like, I'm sure it's still sometimes issues today. How does that impact your husband and how do y'all work through that together?
2: That's a great question. I've never been asked that question. You know, when I met my husband and we fell in love, I was probably at the peak of my anxiety struggle. And I thought for sure, if I told him what was happening in my head, he would turn around and run the other way. I was pretty sure that that's exactly what would happen. And the opposite happened. He was kind of like, "Eh, I mean, okay. Like, I'm not worried. That doesn't sound that crazy or scary or scandalous. And so, you know, how it impacted my relationship, I would say the first thing is that it impacted me. He was a safe person for me, my husband. You know, when we were you know, just getting to know each other, he was a very, very safe person. I would say that, you know, where I am now, like 20 years later, I'm definitely not in an acute anxiety disorder place. But I'm someone who's just naturally wired for anxiety. That's the way my brain was made for better or worse. And I think it, you know, it has benefits and it has problems. So I think at this point, there's a little bit of an eye roll from him. When I go on a train about something in my head, he's kind of like, okay, yes. Kind of waiting for me to get (laughs) off the train. (laughs) And there's something even about like his humor about it, which you know, to have humor, you have to have earned that trust right over years and years, but where he can gently kind of poke fun at me when I get stuck on an anxiety train. So I think that where it doesn't go well is one of the most common symptoms of anxiety in women is irritability. And it's one that we don't really talk about. And so when I am feeling anxious and I get irritable, that's really unpleasant for everyone, mm. especially him.
0: Wow. Wow. I actually didn't really know that necessarily.
1: You're like, but Jeff, you get pretty irritable.
0: Well, I do too. And I'm like, is that anxiety underneath it?
2: I mean, it can be anything. It can be that you're hungry. Yeah. yeah. Let's just start
0: with the hangry first.
2: Yeah, that's really real.
0: But there is a big spectrum of anxiety also. I mean, in some ways, probably even more after COVID, that Mm -hmm. we probably all have some level of this. And whether ours is just, you know, peaks at little specific times or whether that's somebody that struggles every day to somebody that is having active panic attacks, you know, I'm sure that's the spectrum. And I found it interesting, too, when you were saying, like, there's a gift in it, like there's a positive What do you think is the gift?
2: Of my tendency towards anxiety? Yeah, because
0: you did say that there's a good thing. So in my mind, (laughs) there's a gift in it, right? What would you say it is?
2: You know, my tendency to be perhaps more neurotic than others can be helpful in that i'm always trying to think how what i'm saying is being received so if, or if i'm writing an article i kind of think through and i'm gonna really screw up at this right because i won't think through every single person but i try to think through when i say this how might this land for someone else so my tendency to overthink you know mm-hmm. which is that that's a hallmark part of anxiety i think can be a benefit in that way that i'm thinking about other people or how it might land or as a therapist too kind of Thinking if I'm sitting on the sofa hearing myself say this, how might that feel in this moment for that person? Hmm. See,
0: there's a gift. What's your <laughs> gift, babe?
1: Apparently, that must be my gift. I'm the one with the anxiety around I know. here. So, what's I'm, the
0: gift of your I'm anxiety? I'm
1: very gifted. Apparently, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> that I've ever thought about that yet. That's like that's the further next along level. in my growth that's edge here. Level. I have a, I have a lot of opportunities. <laughs> I have a friend that is kind of self-acknowledging this undertone of anxiety within his life. He's married and his partner is seeing it more and more and more in him Mm -hmm. and really struggling with how to encourage him, Mm -hmm. how to walk with him in this. And I think Mm -hmm. this is probably actually really common for Mm -hmm. couples that Andre saw it in me before I could give words to what was happening within me. You know, can you share a little bit about that? Like from a relational standpoint, how do you be that encouragement person, not necessarily even their safe person, but you're there all the time.
2: Yeah. I think it's really hard. And I see that all the time. You just named something that's really common. And actually I've seen a spike in that during COVID Hmm. is where, you know, one partner is just really struggling, whether it's depression or anxiety or alcohol use or something, And so, you know, one of the things I would start with is the supporting partner is for them to to define what their role is and what it isn't, you Hmm. know, that their role to be a support and encourager to to call some things out and say, I think you do need to get some help. I think you do need to see someone, but also at the end of the day, keeping sort of a, a boundaries and an interdependence that I'm not strong enough and powerful enough, and you're probably not going to listen to me for me to actually change it and get you to get the help you need. And that's really hard because we love this person, right? And they might be driving us a little bit bananas. And then in addition to that, the supporting partner, I would say, get your own support because what you're doing is you're trying to help and take care of someone who is not necessarily perhaps just ready to get their own, or they don't even know, or they don't even see it yet, you know, um, to get their own help yet. So you would need your own, I think, support to be able to keep doing that and be in that role.
0: Well, in this series, we're talking a lot about the need for mental health and care for mental health and self-care and basically how not caring for ourselves in these ways can hurt relationships, so how has that either played out for you personally, maybe in a story from your own life or seen this played out commonly in your clients? How have you seen this the most?
2: I think the first thing that comes to mind is that your partner is like the first line, right? And so if you're not caring for yourself, that they are, I don't know why the analogy of a windshield is coming to mind, which is, you know, but they're the ones getting smacked, right? With whatever it is you're not dealing with. And so I think that that's can be really, really a huge impact. Mm-hmm. I think that not caring for your own mental health and your own wellness ripples out to every single relationship that we have. And I think that it's, this is like the cheesy analogy though of the oxygen mask mm-hmm. that we have to put our oxygen mask on first to put someone else's. I always thought that was so disturbing. Every time I read it on an airplane that you don't put your child's oxygen mask on first but really because you will just pass out. And I think it's very similar that when we're not caring for ourselves, we really can't give out what we're not giving to ourselves. And there's going to be seasons where it feels like you don't really have anything to give to yourself, right? I mean, there's going to be seasons where you're depleted and that's just really real, but it impacts your partner more than any other thing could, to be totally honest. Like physical health long-term will impact your partner, Mm -hmm. but your own mental health and wellness will impact your partner every day because you're both, you're kind of carrying the same load through the day of the kids or of work or whatever. And if, if you're not able to help carry your load, that actually puts a heavier load on your partner. And so it's really loving to be able to take care of ourselves that we can kind of help shoulder the load together.
0: Especially as women, I think we hear messages of kind of giving ourselves to our family, giving of ourselves to, you know, our partner, whatever it is. But like the message is constantly is like, I should be giving of myself to this, right? And so I think it's harder maybe for women to then, it feels almost a little selfish, right? Like,
2: well, I'm sorry,
0: I don't know how to give them, you know, if Uh you're depleted. And then if you're depleted and you don't have enough time, how do you find time to take care of you and all of that? So I don't know if you could speak to women specifically on that.
2: Yeah, I think you're right on with women. I mean, that's definitely my experience. It's definitely what I see in my practice is that women in general are receiving explicit or implicit messages to give of themselves to the point of being totally depleted. And then you say like, well, do self-care. And it's like, well, I don't even have the energy to to exercise. How am I going to do self-care? And so I think that, you know, for women, since we're talking about partnerships, that would be the place I would start is that you can't carve out more time and energy for yourself without the buy-in of your partner. And that's often one of the undiagnosed reasons that you're not getting enough help, right? That you're feeling so depleted is that you're carrying too much. And this other person's really getting a sweet deal, right? And not carrying as much. So that would be the first place I would start because otherwise, if you, you know, stop spinning the plates and they all fall, that's not actually going to be nurturing your self care for you either, right? You have to find a way to pass those things off.
0: Yeah. I like that partnership idea and that for sure. And I, I mean, it also goes into this thing about like, so if all the plates fall, it's not just one person's responsibility that that's they right. fell, right? Yes,
2: it's, that's right. It's yeah. both
0: partner, you know, if you're in a partnership, it's both your responsibility in that way. Yeah.
2: And I think the mental load of women is something that's like a yes. term. So um, high. it's really real. And that's just like, Typically, and this is terrible stereotype, but I, but I do see it. Typically women are the ones on the PTA, you know, God help us all PTA email list, (laughs) right? They're the ones remembering about the specific kind of present for that child, for that Saturday birthday party at two 30. Yeah. Right. There's all these mental load things that are happening that you can't see. And so, you know, a wife might snap at her husband because she's carrying 18 things in her head when he simply asks like, hey, did you get milk? Yeah. And she snaps because I can't handle one more thing. And so I think clearly communication is key and you know, sharing, even sharing the mental load is something I really advise. Even if it's super boring, we have a birthday party at 2.30 on Saturday, like not exciting, but just so we're both know that this is what we're heading into.
0: Yeah. I remember Jeff and I had, uh, I would say it was an educational moment for you, Jeff. Where I was like trying to help him understand this like mental load concept because he was like, I just don't understand what that means. Like that doesn't make sense. We're both doing this. And I'm like, no, we're actually not doing it because you're not thinking about it. But let's do a timeout. And I'm just going to go in my head and tell mm-hmm. you my list, like yeah. my mental load list. yeah And just let's see how many of these things you've mm-hmm. thought about. And I did. Mm -hmm. I went into every little detail Mm -hmm. of like the birthday party and the present and the this and how we're going to get this kid to the orthodontist appointment. And, you know, I went to every single detail and he was just like, you, it was probably like 20 things. And it was like at that one moment, I'm like, you don't understand tomorrow. It's a whole different 20 things, you know, like this doesn't Mm -hmm. stay the same every day. It's a different. And he was just like, what? Like, this is
2: crazy that you. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, are carrying that around and here all the time.
1: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, now that the two of you have successfully over genderized this conversation, what? I'm going to yeah. step yeah. in. You're right. You're right. And you're right. Uh, state my claim that I'm still on the call here with us, people. <laughs> just kidding. Um,
0: Monica <laughs> and our best friends now. You can go. Oh, <laughs> we'll Lord. just
1: continue this interview together. So, as COVID is it's not over. It's not anywhere near over, but like the world is opening again. Yeah. And I mean, in our scenario, like I had to stay home with kids. I mean, the over saturation of what we had to take care of in this yeah. last year was beyond healthy, I would say. Yeah, definitely. So I have a feeling this season, this next six months is like all of us deprogramming what, just happened. Yes.
2: Yes. So
1: can you speak into that in relation to mental health, in relation to that journey that we began this conversation of becoming post-pandemic or, you know, as we're releasing some of that, how do we re-engage that healthy component in ourselves again?
2: For me, as a mental health professional, one of the most frustrating and weird things about our society is that we rarely mark enough things with a ritual, right. (laughs) Or with a kind of like, this was a big deal. Now it's kind of like, Hey, I'm going to target without a mask. You know, when, right. when you know, it, like thousands of people lost their lives, thousands of people lost their jobs. We've been through this world trauma and now it's kind of like, hey, is that restaurant like seating people indoors? You know, and it's just it's a real disconnect. It's incongruent between the emotional trauma and upheaval of covid and then just life as normal. And so I think that if people are feeling that weirdness, that sort of stop, start, I don't know how to feel about this. I just wanted to really validate that. Right. But I think another thing is, you know, how maybe this was just me, like in college, if you study really hard for exams and you might get sick afterwards, you know, after you make it through the exams, semester's over and then you get really sick. Mm. I feel like with COVID in some ways, like mentally and emotionally, there's been a lot of people holding their breaths. They've been white knuckling it and trying to get through this. And we are seeing a spike in people wanting mental health help. There's been different spikes throughout this. And there is one now happening where things are opening up and they're starting to feel like kind of like you get sick after studying for exams. They're starting to feel all the things they've been carrying, all the things that have been weighing down their relationships all the things they're worried about their kids about, like, gosh, maybe we really should get them some help now. I think that that's a really big part of what's happening. For anyone listening that's feeling that weirdness or feeling that struggle, I think communicating about it to other people that can really resonate with that and then getting some help. I think that, you know, talking about it's really normal. It's a very, very strange thing for us to live through what we live through and then act like everything's normal. Mm.
1: We're going down a track of this concept of rituals. Have you heard anyone doing some kind of ritual in the now to complete this season or to ponder this season?
2: I have not, but you know, I really think that's a good idea. You know, I think it would be really helpful. I think that what's tricky too, is that we're all ending the season in different ways, you know, different times and different different times. Exactly. Like Some people are still not comfortable sending their kids who are younger or not vaccinated yet places. Some people have been comfortable for months, you know? So it's just, we are all in such different places, but even a personal ritual, I think could be helpful, you know, like marking that this is what we went through as a family. This is what we went through as a family. And this was so hard and we made it through. This is what sucked. This is what we learned this is kind of what we want to take forward with us, I think could be potentially a good part of a ritual.
0: That's great. I'm like writing that down. I mean, to have a family moment like that, even for the kids, I think would Mm -hmm. be so
2: important. Yeah. And we can do those rituals on small levels with each other, you know, in our own relationships.
0: Mm, Yeah. Wow. As we kind of wrap this and kind of go back to, relationships between committed couples what are steps that you think that are really important to take as we're working on our self-care and mental health but that will bring us towards each other you know i think so many times we say well like you go get a therapist right so that takes me over here to my individual therapy which is important and i need totally. it yeah. but what are some things you know besides take out the couples counseling, because we know that mm-hmm. we're always right. promoting that. Uh-huh. But take that out. What are some just maybe practical steps day to day that would be helpful for couples that are moving in that direction, but want to move towards it together?
2: That want to move towards taking care of their own mental health together. Is that right?
0: Yeah. And just in a way that it would draw them closer together.
2: I think connection is such a undervalued part of mental health, yeah. you know, like we're wired for connection and that's why, you know, sometimes if you're feeling depressed, being isolated can make you feel even worse because we're wired to be together. So how could they do it together? Well, I mean, you know, I think that, uninterrupted phone down time is something that I'm definitely not getting enough of that. Right. I think that most of us are not getting enough of that. And so that would be a really simple, free Mm -hmm. place to start for anyone listening that 10 minutes, like nothing, we don't have to like break any records. You don't have to do anything fancy, but 10 minutes of uninterrupted time to talk about how you're doing with your face. (laughs) So that's the thing is that when you're not looking somewhere else, because when we actually are looking Mm -hmm. face to face, our limbic systems of our brains are connecting, you know, we're reading each other's body language and and it feels much, much more connecting. So Mm -hmm. that would be the first place I would start. And then I would start with, this is nerdy and reveals a lot about myself, but I would start with reading a book together And that's can be, you know, that this is something that feels like exciting to me or transformative to me. Mm -hmm. So often we follow our curiosities alone in marriages and that can lead to more and more disconnection, which that's not a, it's not a bad thing to do that. It's great. But, Mm -hmm. you know, to this really beautiful question you asked, it's like uniting our curiosities together and then, you know, processing that book together. I think something as simple as that And then I think, you know, something like getting outside or walking together, Yeah, you know, because that sort of that, the change of scenery, especially during COVID, my gosh, I mean, I'm really sick of these walls myself. The change of scenery can change your whole emotional climate. You know, if you, even if you, you don't have a beautiful place to walk, even just stepping outside to the street and just being in the open air together, Mm-hmm. I think could be connect prompt different conversations rather than sitting on the same sofa, putting on Netflix mm-hmm. is probably not going to prompt new conversation.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So often we follow our curiosities along. What a great, horrible thought somewhere in the middle of that. Like, like I've never thought about it. You, you said that so eloquently. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. So I help a lot of startups get off the ground and work with people mm-hmm. kind of getting things going. And there's a few things I'm like, if I could just tell every single person I meet with this thing, because it's like, it's the same thing. I'm curious as a therapist in, in your work and all the people you've interacted with, it's like, yeah. if I could just sit every couple down and just, if they could just get this part, what would you say?
2: I would say that, you know, balance is a myth.
1: Hmm. I
2: think that balance is a sort of, maybe this is going to sound dramatic. I think a toxic myth because it always makes us feel like we're failing, you know, because nobody can balance it all. It's just not possible. Hmm. But prioritization is much more doable. So prioritizing your couplehood I think is one of the things that we just miss. I do it myself. I mean, life gets busy. You're following your passions or you're doing work even that you don't want to do, or you're taking care of kids. And it's really easy to lose each other in that. So I would say prioritizing the relationship. And then I would say, don't underestimate the importance of boundaries. I think boundaries individually and as a couple are really underestimated. And what I mean is boundaries around the couple, not between each other, which you know that's appropriate too, but around you guys as a couple. It's so often that I find couples that are experiencing so much stress. And when we start to identify it, the weight that's on them is one of the in-laws, you know, or is these unrealistic expectations that They've got to go to three different Christmases and now they're fighting, you know? And so I think that boundaries around your relationship are, you know, to just protect it and and let it be a sacred space for the, the two of you. And then the last couple of things I would say is be an emotionally safe person. You know, if you want to be close and connected in your relationship, you got to work on becoming or being an emotionally safe person for each other. Nobody wants to be vulnerable with someone who's going to throw it in their face, right? Or who's going to criticize them for it later. So I think really working on your own emotional safety would be like a huge thing because if you're safe with each other emotionally and have that secure attachment, you can weather a lot of stuff. There's even this like terrible research study that was done years ago where a partner would be experiencing like an electric shock and if they were holding the hand of someone they felt safe with, their whole body reacted less to the pain point. Mm. So just that power of connection, but we can't connect unless we feel safe. So that's why I would start with the safety to kind of build and keep that connection going.
0: Hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. Well, we'll end with our last question that we ask every. Person, couple that we interview is, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying about balance, but is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family?
2: I say yes. I mean, I say absolutely yes. Now, is it possible to do all of it really well at the same time? Maybe not. I think it's Michelle Obama who said like, you can have it all, just not at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that flexibility is one of the most important parts of any healthy relationship. And what I mean by that is that your role will change. So there might be a time when one of you is running really hard and fast after a dream and the other one, because they really love and believe in that person. And therefore they believe in their dreams. They're going to have to pick up more slack at home. But, you know, back to that safety, if we really have that safety, we're going to be able to flex and move in those different seasons. So I say yes, with, you know, prioritizing and just a ton of flexibility with each other.
1: And now it's time for the breakdown.
0: What did you enjoy about that podcast?
1: Well, I'm still becoming as part of my journey right now. Mm -hmm. Becoming.
0: How's your anxiety doing for you?
1: It's good. I thought she had some great things to say. A couple things that really stuck with me today is this concept she just like floated out there. So often we follow our curiosities alone. Mm-hmm. So often we follow our curiosities alone. I'll be honest. Sometimes it's healthy because you you're not interested in what I'm curious about. Other times though, it could be really uniting for us to explore something together. Yeah. What a mm-hmm. really cool... Thing. a great challenge
0: I like that and I mean she gave three really easy kind of some practical things we can work on you know the 10 minutes of face to face uninterrupted time Yeah, uh, take a walk together and then read a book together like follow you know the curiosity that I might have in this book that I read that was really great or follow that for your curiosity of a podcast you listen to that you thought was awesome, me listen to that as well. You know, those are the types of things that can promote new conversations because right now
1: it always feels like it's the same conversations. Now you, this is like our relationship you don't love the face-to-face 10-minute thing. I, I really don't. <laughs> Andre has this amazing ability to, when I want to talk with her, she tries to do the dishes, clean the whole house, and fold laundry at the same time. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to sit with you and talk about this now.
0: You're right. I need to work on that.
1: I mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: I do need to work on it. She said that the limbic system is very important in that, so...
1: What is the limbic system? <laughs> we're not going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I, I'm asking for our listeners. Obviously,
0: <laughs> I really felt connected to when she was talking about the COVID kind of questions that we were asking. Yeah, the ritual stuff. Yeah, but like that we've all been white knuckling and really like
1: like holding on,
0: holding on through this whole experience and having some kind of emotional trauma in some way, all of us, right? Whatever way, isolation, loneliness, uh, fear, uh, sickness, true loss of family and family members. We've all been just holding on. And then I love the analogy of like, after that, you just get this sickness, you get this like unleashing of all your emotions, right? And now we're all starting to feel. Everything that we've been carrying or suppressing or pushing through. Yeah, just getting through. Just pushing through. Yeah,
1: I think that's real. I think we're all feeling it.
0: Yeah, definitely, for sure. And I I do like that she said, you know, one way that we can kind of work on that is having that ritual. You know, what sucked? What did we just go through? You know, what have we learned in this? What are we going to be? How are we going to change moving forward, you know, Mm -hmm. based on what we learned, you know, I love that idea of really processing that.
1: Yeah. Now the other big topic we talked about was anxiety. Mm -hmm. There's probably people listening that it's part of their story, or maybe it is part of your story. You just didn't have words for it, or maybe your partner, you see it in your partner. I mean, this is a big part of my story and I want to encourage all of you to lean into that. Take some advice. She had some incredible thoughts for that. And try to get some help that you might need.
0: Yeah, I mean, to know that you're not alone, to know that there's always someone who has faced that same issue and that same feeling that you're feeling inside Mm -hmm. before and to be able to reach out to somebody that you need to talk about with.
1: Yeah, that's really good. Wow, this has been a great time together. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Monica. If you want to follow her, where can they follow her work again?
0: Yeah, go to her Still Becoming podcast and Still Becoming Kids. It's just the kids version of little 10 minute kind of guided things that bring kind of meditation and peace and teaching to kids.
1: Well, we need to wrap this up because I have to stand up. My you're getting watch notified. is getting, telling me that I've been sitting too long. Oh my gosh, guys.
0: We're going to have to have a check-in in a few months and see how you're doing with that.
1: You're going to keep me accountable just like the watches. <laughs> and that, my All friends, right. is another episode of Love or Work. Work.
0: This episode was recorded by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.